You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Amen. I am Brenna Rubio. I'm, the, as Bill said, the other pastor here. Sometimes we refer to me as the quiet one, which is certainly accurate. I am also the one who often tells people that I like conflict. I think that's one of the things I'm known for here at City Church is that I'm often the person going, yeah, conflict. Let's get into healthy conflict. So this past week, uh, I was in a meeting with a, a group of leaders. No one, any of you know, okay, but I'm in a, in a group of, there's seven of us, seven leaders on a Zoom call, and uh, we had a tricky issue that we were going to need to talk about together. And um, this one guy enters the meeting just hot, like he just, he just kind of comes in upset, um, really ready. I mean, he's just, he's just ready to go. And a lot of his energy, not all of it, seems to be directed at me. Now, pastor who loves healthy conflict that I am, right? Of course, what I did is exactly what I, I constantly coach others to do. Uh, you know, that's kind of a norm here at City Church. You know, I, I calmly raised a card and named like, wow, I'm sensing a lot of intensity here. You know, maybe we want to pause a minute and figure out where that's coming from. No, that is not what I did. That, that is not what I did at all. This was not one of my finer conflict moments. Instead, I mean, this guy's kind of acting as if he's my boss and he's not my boss. You know, he's kind of telling me what I should be doing about a specific situation. And I kind of feel like he's powering up on me and stepping over some boundaries. And so, you know, I power up back and I let him know where those boundaries are. Um, nobody's cussing, nobody's calling names, right? But, but there's some tension. And what's supposed to be a pretty collaborative meeting really quickly becomes pretty confrontational. And uh, just, yeah, we're, we're in conflict with each other. Like we are not doing this well. And, and I actually got kind of mad enough that I kind of stopped talking for a while, but you know, this is set off a chain reaction and the whole meeting is not going in the direction that it should be going. And, um, you know, later on in the meeting, I'm just, these are true confessions of your pastor here. It's this weird Zoom world, right? And so you know how sometimes these days it's like you can kind of go like, I'm on mute, right? So when I'm on mute, it's like when you're like yelling at another driver when you're driving, right? And they can't hear you, so you can say whatever you want, right? Because you're on mute. And so somebody else, you know, makes a comment that I think is really good, I really like. And so I'm like, yeah, thank you. And I realize I'm not on mute. <laughs> this is not my finest moment. Not my finest moment in conflict. So thinking about this situation, last week we started talking about this idea of uh, integration, having an integrated faith where just our whole lives, we're, we're called to love God with our whole selves, our heart, soul, body, mind, and saying, hey, this is really what in the book of James, we are being called to this sense of our words and our beliefs, or excuse me, our actions and our beliefs are supposed to match right? That's what it looks like to have an integrated faith. And, and so last week in particular, we were talking about a sort of a self-test of how are we doing? Like, do our actions, particularly towards the poor, particularly in matters of justice, a really good self-test might be how we handle money. Well, in our passage today, I think James is really kind of just moving on from this self-test of how are we doing with money? How are we doing with our finances, he's moving on to the self-test of 
how are we doing with our speech? It's the self-test of the tongue. Um, and he seems to think that this, this matters, that there is a sense that we can grow into people who can use our words wisely. Uh, I think Kevin is going to put in the chat for us the first couple of verses in James chapter 3. And if we start with the, actually the end of that passage first, James says, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. They've grown into their full potential as human beings. It's this word telos. Uh, they've grown into their full potential. They have reached completion. Uh, when they're able to control their tongues, it's because that means that they're able to keep their whole lives, their whole bodies in check. Now, I am actually comforted by the start of this passage as well. Uh, in verse one, where it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be mu judged much more strictly and we all stumble. He's basically saying, yeah, I screw up, just like I did, right? Like I love healthy conflict. And yet I know in this situation this past week, it, it's not that I did anything so incredibly awful, right? And yet it truly was, it, it, I could have done so much better, right? Like there's just this knowledge that God has created me in a way, he's put this, this deep value in my heart for healthy conflict. And in that moment, I wasn't living fully into that, right? I, I could have used my words in a way that would have helped our team get back on track. And instead, I was using it, my words in a way that actually just pushed, pushed the problem. It made the problem spread. And so I think for all of us, we, we know, right, that this happens. We all have these moments where the way we are using our words, we know it's not, it's not living into our full potential. We know it's not God's best for us. But what do we do? How do we actually learn to do better? How do we pass? this test of the tongue. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, and our friend Erica Valencia Adachi is going to be reading for us. And if you could welcome her as she starts to read, it is actually her birthday. And so feel free to put a happy birthday to Erica in the chat. Thanks for reading for us on your birthday, Erica. My pleasure. James 3, 3-12. through 12. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole, whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Erica. Thanks, Erica. Uh, nothing like uh, reading scripture in church on your birthday and getting 50 happy birthday messages in the chat. It's fantastic. I love Thanks it. for the love, everybody. <laughs> um, and I just want to point out, um, just because, you know, a lot of you people have been around for a couple of years, and um, just how great it was that, that it was Brenna who said something blustery and dumb instead <laughs> of me. I mean, can we just all just enjoy that for a moment? Um, that it wasn't me time. Anyway, I just I just wanted to point that out and let you know how grateful I am for you, Brenna Rubio. Um, throw you under the bus there, since I'm usually throwing myself under the bus. Um, so as we think a little bit about um, James's words, you know, it's you know, words are they're just so powerful and many i mean all of us have experienced that right think of the words that people have said to us and the impact um, that it's had i was talking this week with a woman from our church who shared a phrase that her mother spoke to her when she was in elementary school which um, shaped her life about how messy of a person she was and how she's had to live that down. Um, just, and over and over again, like how many times our words, um, well, as James says in verse five, they set a great forest on fire. How many times have we set our lives on fire and the lives of other people on fire? How many people here have had a yelling match um, with someone about politics um, or at a friend or at your child or at your parent or at your significant other. And you, you said things that, boy, you just wish you could take back. I mean, it's just, it's so heavy. What do we do with this thing, the, the tongue? James goes on in, in verse 8, he says, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And you know this, right? You know it because it's in your mouth. I have a friend, uh, he's become a good family friend and really is, is just a, a wonderful person. But she grew up uh, in a family where uh, there was a lot of pain. And a lot of that pain was directed at her. And she told me this story once, and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. She said um, during middle school, particularly I think sixth grade, she would, she would excuse herself from class. And she'd go into the bathroom when there was no one else in the bathroom. And she'd walk up to the mirror and she'd say, you're worthless. You're ugly. No one likes you. She would say this to herself. The poison of that. And you realize what, what's going on, of course, is that 
it's not just, you know, she's not just poisoning herself. She is, but she's recycling the poison that has been poured into her by her parents. And decades later, after tons of therapy, right, she's, she's healing. It makes me think of, of people who, who cut themselves sometimes, and, and many of you know folks or have had some of this experience yourself, because the, the physical pain of, of hurting yourself distracts you from the deep pain in your heart. And this is, what, this is what she was doing, right? With her words, by telling herself how worthless she was, she was trying to distract herself from the even deeper pain that she felt inside. And yet, along the way, was just continuing to poison herself. And now she's, she's grown, she's healed through therapy, through meeting Christ, through experiencing love and community. Uh, is learning how to give blessing, but it's, wow, what? What a journey. And how powerful is this thing called the tongue? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we have all experienced that in so many ways, what we've received, what we've given out. It reminds me, though, you know, there is a flip side to this coin, right? Like any powerful thing, you know, like for instance, money, as we were talking about it last week, any powerful thing in our lives, it has the capacity to be used for evil or to be used for good. As ancient wisdom in the Bible put it in the book of Proverbs, it's the tongue has the power of life and death. And we're definitely hearing from James. I mean, clearly he was experiencing in very profound ways the power of the tongue for death, for just causing destruction and problems. And uh, we see that really later in the book, like in chapter four, as he starts talking about all the fights and the quarrels that they're experiencing there in their community and uh, that he's trying to, to help them deal with and to think about like, oh, What's going on here inside of us? But what about that flip side? I think it's more subtle here, and yet, yet it's here. You know, that even James knows, yeah, but words can be used differently. I mean, as we said, he says, this is our telos. If we want to be a complete person, if we want to live into our full potential to be who God has created us to be, we will learn how to do the opposite. We will harness the power of words for life, for building people up, for healing. So some of the examples that he talks about in the middle of this passage, talking about ships and horses, these are big, powerful tools, if you will, right? Uh, they're big, they're forceful, there's a lot of energy there. And, and yet he's saying, just this small little piece, the rudder of a ship, the bit in a horse's mouth can make all the difference between whether it's just gonna be power kind of run amok or power harnessed towards something good. And so it's like he's setting this vision of our words could actually do that too. Our, you know, even this imagery of words as being 
like a fire. And I find that imagery just so potent these days, living in the midst of so many wildfires as we are, right? And so he, he's saying, okay, words are like fire, which can be such a destructive force when it runs out of control. And yet, fire is also, when harnessed, fire is an amazing force for the good, right? It brings us light. It warms us. What if there are ways we can learn to do that? What if that is actually our telos, our calling, uh, who we're meant to be? So listen along with me to this story of Jesus, and I'm just going to retell it really briefly. It's Jesus in the temple, as he often was, teaching people. He's got a crowd gathered around him. He's doing his thing. It's a very peaceful scene. This is found in John chapter 8. Uh, and all of a sudden, religious leaders burst in, dragging a woman behind them. And we don't know for sure, but the way the story is written, there's this kind of immediacy to the tone. She has been caught in adultery, and it feels very immediate. Like, she may just be wrapped up in like a bedsheet at this point. So she's hauled in behind, being accused, thrown in front of Jesus. Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, and the law of Moses would say that we need to stone her to death. Now, what do you say? This is not neutral, right? This is, this is the leaders coming in hot. They're trying to spark a fire. They don't really care who it burns up. It could burn up the woman. It can burn up Jesus. It can burn up both, but they are ready. They're ready to start a fight. They're ready to start a fire. And I think there's just so much that we could potentially learn from how Jesus responds here and how he uses his words in this situation. Because the very first thing that he does uh, is that Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. He just pauses. He just doesn't answer. He takes his time. There's no need for him to immediately jump into reaction. I mean, how different would my story have been if I had taken a moment to breathe, to register my own reactions before I responded to the sense of intensity being directed at me. He just pauses. And they keep asking questions. And when he's ready, he stands up and he says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He just, he basically rejects the premise of the question. He says, you say I should be talking about this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shed a whole new light on this. We're going to look at this from a different angle. He illuminates the scene, the issue in an entirely different way to say, is she the only sinner here? Is she the only one who's messed up? Okay, I hear you asking for justice. Are you sure? Are you sure? Or do you want grace too? He illuminates. He takes the time, he asks some questions, tries to see what wisdom is there here to be had. And then they all leave, right? Because with this new shift in the conversation, they don't want any piece of it now. It, the, the ground has shifted too much. And so now Jesus is just talking to the woman. Man, just imagine, imagine the shame she's feeling. Imagine the terror 
just the aftermath of all of this. And of course, we have to notice she's there by herself. She was not caught in adultery by herself, but she's the only one who's been dragged here and shamed in this public, this public way. And Jesus speaks to her and he said, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's these words of healing, healing, just warm and caring. I see you. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's brokenness. But this doesn't define you. This is not your telos. This is not who you're meant to be. Go in freedom. Be who you are meant to be. Words actually do have the power for good. How do we learn to do more of that? Yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? How do we do more of that? Uh, last night was date night, and on date night, we asked this question. Um, hey, we asked three questions. How are you? How are we? And how can I pray for you? That's our standard date night question. So last night, as we were talking about uh, how are we, I asked, you know, so is there any unresolved conflict from this week that we should bring up? Literally thinking like, ah, I don't really think there is, but yeah, you know, I just bring it up. And as it turns out, there might have been a few moments where I did not pause and consider. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's when you know it's a spirit, right? You really think you're going to get away easy, you know, on the date night question. And so you ask it because you think it was a good week. And then you realize, darn. Uh, so, uh, so James has this line where it, it's, it's, it's really important. Um, he talks about all these animals and reptiles. Like you can, you can tame an animal. But then he goes on and in verse three, uh, chapter three, verse eight, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Like you, you actually can't do it. It, it's impossible. And, it's, and that's not there to turn us hopeless. It actually is there because it's an invitation to a deeper change. There, there's always an invitation to a deeper change. Before we can actually speak words that heal, we ourselves need to be healed. And that's the deepest work. Jesus, um, he talks about this. You know, James gets into this whole idea of, um, you know, what kind of fruit comes from what kind of tree. And he talks about, you know, salt water doesn't come from fresh springs and fresh springs, you know, they have fresh water. It's, it's the thing itself. It's the heart of it that matters. In Matthew 12, as Jesus is doing some teaching, he says this, and, and it's clear that James is referring back to this. As, you know, James was Jesus' brother. He said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Right? It, it, it shows up who you really are. And then in the very next verse in Matthew 12, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
And, and the point isn't to use that against each other. You know, to, to say, oh, see, see, you're a bad person. See, you just said a nasty word. Or you, that's not the idea. Jesus is never in prosecutor mode. He's, he's not in cross-examination mode. He's always inviting us to know our own hearts. And so when you say things, you get to go, oh, wow, I really said that. What was going on in me that led to that? What? Why did all that anger come out? Last night we were on date night again, we were talking a little bit about, we'd seen some friends earlier in the day and, and I told Katie, I said, you know, I was just sort of processing. I said, yeah, I don't know. One of these friends that really annoyed me seeing, seeing them. I wasn't sure why. And she asked me a couple of questions and, and, uh, you know, and some of the things that this friend said were annoying. And then, then we just realized, like, you know, I wonder if it's, it actually comes out of what's going on in my own heart. And if in some ways the annoyance I experience is a gift to show me, maybe I'm not as tolerant as I think I am. You know, I, I claim to be really welcoming. Right, I love to welcome people, right? It, it's true, I do. Uh, but maybe I'm not quite as welcoming as I like to think I am. It was a good moment for us to, to pause and, and think. And I've realized that this is, in so many ways, it's, it's the story of my life that stuff keeps coming out from the inside that shows that shows a heart that's still wounded, that feels a lack of love, a lack of belonging. And <clears throat> so this, literally this is, you know, Brent and I were talking a little bit about it, that this is a sort of sermon you prepare for over 30 years, right? I mean, it's just, this, literally, I think about this stuff every single day about God, you know, change my heart, help me know who I am that I am your beloved, right? And James uses that language earlier back in chapter two. He talks about it. Jesus all the time is talking about this stuff. And so, you know, as some of you have known, we have just redone our backyard. We've just finished uh, the work in our backyard. And um, when you enter through the gate, which is where everyone now enters, right? Because no one is allowed in anyone else's home. Um, our gate is in the alley. And as, as you enter, we, we put up this wooden wall. And uh, Joe, you can share the screen here um, and see it. But I, I, I erected this wall. And there's all sorts of symbolism and all kinds of stuff from the different kinds of wood. And, the, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's super nerdy, okay? I mean, as you would expect. But uh, I just recently put the title on. And so those, those words up there, are wooden, wooden letters, and it says, be, do. And when I go into my backyard, I usually go out there every evening before, before bed. It's this rhythm of trying to find my true self and 
being my true self, knowing that identity determines destiny. It's who I am. It's my being that actually determines my doing. And what if I could truly and deeply embrace who I really am, who God says I am? That might affect what I do and what I say. So I'm not asking you to go out and build something in your backyard. That's a bit extreme, but as we all know, um, one of our pastors tends to be a little bit um, overstated. Um, <laughs> the other is a bit understated. And, uh, but for me, this is just what it looks like. Like, how do I go on this journey of truly deeply embracing change at the heart level? Uh, it's one of the reasons why I have mentors. It's one of the reasons why I have a therapist. And uh, it's a journey that you're all invited on as well. And really, it's the journey I think we talk about all the time at City Church, because one of the things that we're just constantly talking about is this idea of kairos, that there are these moments and these opportunities that God gives us to listen, to do that whole thing that we saw Jesus, Jesus modeling for us, to pause, to ask for some illumination. God, show me what's going on in my heart. Help me see this more clearly. And then say, okay, now, now that I see it, how do I actually heal? How do I actually move forward into the freedom that you have actually invited me to live in? How do we actually do that? That I think is the invitation for all of us. And so I just want to finish my story. Um, well, I mean, honestly, it's, it's somewhat ongoing. But for me, if I walk through this Kairos process to say, okay, I know it's not actually, it's not me just sort of slapping a behavioral fix onto this, but it's me saying, okay, what was happening in that moment where I did not feel like I was living into who God has created me to be. Um, so I pause, what was happening in my heart? And honestly, I just think, wow, you know, this is, this is a newer group that I'm part of. And, and I just have to admit to myself, there are some ways I feel insecure in this group. You know, that the response that I would have liked to have given, I mean, if Bill came into a meeting hot with me, which is not outside the realm of possibility. What? Um, <laughs> but if he came in, you know, a little, a little aggressive, it would actually usually be a pretty simple conversation because I know Bill and I trust Bill. And so it'd just be like, whoa, friend, what's going on here? <laughs> right? You know? still not okay, but I mean, everybody has a bad day every once in a while, and maybe there's something we need to figure out, right? It's, it's fine. And all of a sudden, it hopefully doesn't become, you know, a flaming argument, but we both get a chance to have some Kairos together. Um, but so I just have to acknowledge, like, oh, I was feeling some insecurity. Like, I didn't have that, like, sort of sense of relational trust that's been built up over time to sort of help me kind of through that difficult moment. Um, but then when I, I recognize that, I bring that to God, what I sensed for myself was just this sense of, okay, but I actually know that this is like, this is like a deep calling in my life, you know, maybe more than it is for some other people, but like, this is something I deeply care about. And I want to be able to work out of just my sense of like, but I know God loves me. Like, I know, like, 
you know, I'm not perfect, but you know, like I'm loved. And so I can sin boldly. I can like risk in a conversation, just, just throwing that card and saying, well, what's going on? You know, it's, it's a little vulnerable, a little vulnerable, but I can do that. Not out of guilt, not out of shoulds, but just because it's a gift that I can bring to teams that I'm on to not react out of heat, but to invite other people into some reflection and to, to help us move in a more constructive sort of, sort of way in a conversation. Um, so for me, out of freedom, not out of compulsion, but you know, I did actually send a message out to the team later just acknowledging, you know, both one, just naming that it seemed like there had been some tension from the very beginning and that I regretted that I hadn't said that at the time. You know, I regretted that I had failed to pause. I wished I had paused and asked where that was coming from instead of just reacting and feeding into it. Um, that's what I wish, you know, and it's an unfolding story, you know, how we're actually going to come back together as a team and work our way through that. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity to walk through it. I feel a sense of, again, not guilt, but just like, okay, thanks, God. I see what you're saying to me. I see the invitation to follow you, to be changed, to grow more into who you've created me to be. And, and that's the invitation for all of us this morning. Not out of guilt, not out of shame, but just to know that you have been given the power of healing in your words as well. And so we get to take those opportunities when it's, when we feel the hurtful words wanting to pour out or when we have some words of blessing and they feel stuck. We know they're there. We want to say, I love you. We want to say, wow, I see this gift in you. And yet sometimes even those words of healing can just get stuck. That we actually get to talk about that with God. Say, okay, God, what's going on? And he will invite us into a place of healing and a place of change.